everybody and welcome to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 223. Uh, as we prepare to depart from Rivendell, we have been on the cusp of departing from Rivendell for a very long time. And uh, now we finally are going to, uh, uh, are going to, to, well, get a little bit closer actually to departure. Uh, we've been standing, uh, we're now standing literally on the doorstep. Everybody's packed and dressed and described and standing outside waiting for Gandalf to emerge, right? Um, so uh, we're, uh, we just left off at a cliffhanger moment at the end of our last discussion uh, when we were about to get the primary conversational contribution of Bill the Pony, right? Bill the Pony is about to get his big line. Uh, so... Um, uh, so yeah, so there, we, so there we go. But uh, I'm going to do a couple quick announcements first because we're coming up on a couple things. Uh, first, I wanted to point out uh, we have got a, a new course that's being offered this summer in our MA program, which is open for folks who want to audit it as well. Um, and uh, this is a really fun, this is a very different new course that we're doing, and it's called Digital Text. This is taught by uh, James Tauber, who is, you may know him, he's the, uh, the head of the Digital Tolkien Project. Um, and he is teaching this course on digital text. It's just basically, it's, it's all about, from the ground up, how to manage, prepare, sort, handle, do work with digital texts. Um, if you've ever been interested in, you know, the kind of uh, digital analyses that are done with texts and you want to know, like, how can I do that? What do I have to do in order to do that? How do I prepare a text in order, you know, and, and in, you know, make sure that it's properly encoded so that I can feed it through the piece of software and get, like, interesting and useful results uh, from it and everything? Um, then uh, that would be this would be the course for you. Uh, and as I said, it's available uh, both for Premiere Audit, which means you can just like sit in and enjoy the lectures. You can also uh, join f through Discussion Audit, um, which means you can enjoy the lectures and you also get to participate uh, in the discussion sections, but you don't have to hand in any of the papers or anything like that. Um, so. This is uh, just as a, this is a very different kind of class. We've never done a class uh, like this before, so it's a really exciting opportunity. Wanted to make sure that everybody knew that that was coming up. Our spring semester starts in the beginning of, or sorry, summer semester. Uh, spring semester is uh, just about done. Uh, summer semester uh, is coming up. Uh, it's a, about a month away from the start of the summer term. So, uh, still plenty of time uh, uh, to uh, uh, sign up for that. There is, however, much less time uh, to talk about, uh, to get signed up for the April space modules, however, which begin very soon. Um, so I want to, I definitely want to encourage you to, um, uh, to think about this. Um, we have the, already the biggest registration for space ever by a lot, actually, by almost 50%, in fact, in April, uh, compared to previous months. A um, lot of excitement in our space program right now. Great modules being offered this April. Um, and uh, I just uh, strongly recommend it, because if you've been thinking about doing this, um, 
we're just getting rave reviews from the people who are participating in our space program. A wonderful, uh, low-pressure way to learn in a really supportive but really low-pressure environment, which has just been proving really perfect for a lot of people. Um, so uh, I want to just make sure everybody knows about this. Again, as I said, there's still time to sign up for the April modules, which are going to start next week. Um, and uh, then, of course, we've got the candidate modules. We'll be announcing which ones of these we're confirming uh, for uh, uh, for May, but I think it's going to be a fair number of them, actually. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Anyway, so signumuniversity.org slash space in order to uh, uh, to find this. And if you are looking for the digital text class, if you just go to the Signum homepage, well, right now we actually have a blog post up there on that, so you can just go to the homepage and uh, click through to the, to the blog post on that, and you can get the address there from there. So there we are. And yes... TextMoot was this past weekend. I got back from uh, uh, from Austin <clears throat> on Sunday. What a wonderful time. We had an excellent day uh, on Saturday at TextMoot. Great to see a whole bunch of folks. Uh, there were a whole bunch of you guys uh, who are regular attendees who are able to come down. Great to uh, spend some time with you. Both of the uh, hosts of the Prancing Pony podcast were there as well. Uh, Sean, of course, uh, the uh, Lord of the Mark, was... Um, uh, was one of our uh, organizing team, uh, one of our hosts for uh, TechSmooth this year. Um, so that was uh, that was really cool. Uh, Rowan, I actually did not get much barbecue this time. What I today this time this trip, I because I've been so focused on barbecue in trips to Texas past, I realized that I had never done like real Tex-Mex before. I mean, I had Mexican food before, but I've never had Tex-Mex before. Uh, so we did Tex-Mex instead, and it was awesome. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed my uh, my first uh, my first real Tex-Mex. Um, so that was awesome and uh, great. Glow and Sun, you're uh, coming to your first moot on Saturday. That's going to be great. This coming Saturday, of course, is Sunshine Moot. There still is time uh, to sign up for Sunshine Moot. We're going to be near Orlando, Florida. Um, it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, I think it's the attendance is going to be a little bit smaller which is super cool. I really like uh, small moots. Um, so it's going to be uh, a, a, a bunch of us getting together and we're going to have some fun discussion and we're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to hear some talks and we're going to have some discussion and we're going to play games. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, so I uh, am, there's still time. So you can sign up of course to attend uh, uh, to attend physically, or you can sign up to attend digitally. It's going to be a fully hybrid mood experience. A lot of people who were there at TexMoot, it was uh, their first experience with this kind of a hybrid mood experience. And it's kind of cool, I have to say. Uh, you know, we're, of course, uh, Druid's Fire, uh, who is one of our moderators here, is uh, our digital uh, our, our digital moot facilitator and does a great job uh, making sure everything on the on the remote side uh, is running smoothly. Um, and it was great. I mean, like there were times that, um, you know, text me, I'm thinking of one moment in particular, one portion of the day in particular, where we had uh, a, an open panel discussion between two people, one of whom was physically with us and another one was coming in from Canada. Um, so he was on screen and she was there and they were able to just kind of, you know, talk back and forth with each other as both those of us who were present and those of us who were at home were all able to listen and, you know, ask questions and, and get into conversation from home and from there with the two of them. It was pretty cool. It works, it works really well. So I'm, uh, um, um, 
pretty excited uh, at how our hybrid moot thing has uh, has worked out uh, this year. We're uh, we've uh, kind of gotten into a groove on that one, and I'm looking forward to another one here uh, this coming weekend. So, um, anyway, so there we are, Sunshine Moot coming up um, again this very Saturday, uh, April second. Um, in Orlando, go to signumuniversity.org slash events, and you can find the registration for that um, and join us there. So, all right, let us get back into the text here. So, um, we had just about gotten down to the actual equine commentary. Sam was standing by the pony, sucking his teeth, which distracted me a good deal last week, and staring moodily into the gloom where the river roared stonily below. His desire for adventure was at its lowest ebb. Sorry. The the poetics of that sentence get to me every time I read it aloud. It's the word stonily more than anything else, but it's not only the word stonily, but the way that the word stonily picks up moodily, as we talked about before. Sam was standing by the pony, sucking his teeth, and staring moodily into the gloom where the river roared stonily below. His desire for adventure was at its lowest ebb. The way that you get the sound interplay, which then sets up the metaphor at the end, that is the, the, the low ebb, right? Uh, the, the sort of tidal metaphor, right? Uh, for his desire for adventure. Um, contrasted with the roaring of the river. So we get this... Um, this stonily roaring river. If the river's roaring, it sounds like a large volume of water moving really fast, right? Um, and yet then we get the other water image, the water metaphor, comparing his desire for adventure, uh, illustrating his desire for adventure, which is at its lowest ebb, right? The, the lowest portion of low tide right before the turn of the tide. Um, and that's a, a, f a relatively static, right? It's not even... It's not just that it's slow-moving, like the tide is slow-moving compared to a roaring river, right? We get that difference as well, of course, um, but it's more than that, right? It's more than just that slow versus fast uh, movement. Um, it's also more than the other contrast that we get of the high volume of water in a roaring river and the... I know that the like actual water content of the ocean doesn't decrease with the low tide, but again, like from the position of the shore, like it's the, the the water is going away, right? There's 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 still quite a lot of ocean you can usually see, but uh, but you you know you see what I mean, right? You've got like the large volume of water and the the low tide, right? The the low volume of water. Um, but um, here's the other thing that that makes me think of here. Um, though, is that his desire for adventure may be at its lowest ebb, right? He may be standing there at this sort of turning point, right? At this, like, point of stasis where what that means, right? What it means for your desire for adventure to be at its lowest ebb is that you want to stay. You don't want to go out, right? Um, he wants to stay home. He wants to go home. And he's not home, right? He wants to go home. He doesn't want to go out for adventure. That's his, his own desires are not driving him out for adventures. And yet, the river roars on, right? Um, like that, um, uh, which of course, I can't help but be reminded uh, when thinking about the combination of a river and adventure, uh, is that of course, that's the metaphor 
that Bilbo uses to talk about being swept off your feet at last, right, by the road uh, when you step outside your own door. Um, the road is like is like a river. It's like a it's like a you know a stream, and every you know every uh, uh, every front door path is its tributary, right? Um, uh, so he's being swept away. He's hearing the sound of the roaring river, and that is the stonily roaring river is no doubt connected to his staring moodily into the gloom, to his moodiness, right, um, as he's staring into the gloom, um, because he's, he knows. He knows he's being swept away, not against his will, right? We have seen him activate his will, Sam's will, right, several times. Um, we know that he wills to go on, um, but there's a difference between willing to go on and wanting to go on, right? And he doesn't want to go on, um, but he um, he goes. He knows he's 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 going to go, right? And he knows that he needs to go, and he feels the current, right? The current sweeping him along. This is what needs to be. Um, why am I emphasizing this again? Well, apart from the fact that it just kind of struck me as I was reading through again. I want to go back to one of the things that I was saying last time about Sam, Sam's position, why we get so much of Sam. Um, why do we get so much of Sam's talk uh, in this, not only this scene, right, but in, in the book as a whole, right? Um, what is Sam's role? And clearly one of Sam's roles is that he is giving us a kind of normal person view of the situation, right? Sam is not a hero. He's not. He's just a servant. He's just a gardener. He is the lowliest of all of the characters, which makes him very important, right? And we talked about this, how even the other hobbits who are, you know, have this more humble framework of the world compared to, you know, the big folk um, that we see, like the heroes, like Aragorn and Gandalf. Um, but even the other hobbits are... Um, even the other hobbits are, are um, aristocrats, right? I mean, they're uh, they're nobles, basically. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, to Jewish man. I agree. He's a, he's a type of audience surrogate. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what we're getting there. Um, and he's he's our he's a he's the every man, right? He enables us, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, uh, to be able to have a point of reference in this. Now, we don't want just the Sam reference all the time, right? Um, it's good to see the heights, right? Uh, to see the big people and to get swept away, um, you know, onto things, right? Um, uh, but we can't live for long on the heights, right? Like the hobbits will say. Um, yeah, and Bill Silk. That's right. Sam and Bill both uh, provide us this uh, this uh, this framework. Um, now, this doesn't mean that he's the only one whose desire for adventure is at its lowest ebb. You know that, like Merry and Pippin, being uh, you know nobles of great families. You know, you know the heirs of great families um, have a totally different you know outlook on the world, 
um, or you know a totally different attitude towards this adventure or towards heroism or something like that. I don't think that Tolkien is saying that. And of course, we know that Merry and Pippin already have been at times um, providing us with a readerly framework for this story, and later we'll do so even more. Um, so it's certainly not that Merry and Pippin and Frodo are like out of our reach. Aragorn is more out of our reach, right? Um, Boromir is more out of our reach. Um, but none of the hobbits are truly out of our reach. But Sam is most definitely um, in our reach. And Nancy, you're right. The, the hobbit does use Bilbo as the every hobbit. Of course, he's the only hobbit, really, uh, in The Hobbit, right? Um, it's called The Hobbit, right? Um, but... Um, uh, but um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, Bilbo. Did, but of course, Bilbo. There's nothing to sort of compare him to, right? Bilbo. The, the Hobbit establishes that trend of having Bilbo, the little one, right? You know, the 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 you know the one of the little folk who is on the journey, be our mediator, right? Provide our framework as we read. The Lord of the Rings is going to be more complicated, right? And even the Hobbit characters are more complicated. Um, yeah. Now, Jackie, I agree Strider, as such, doesn't seem completely out of our reach, and maybe that's partially why the Hobbits continue calling him Strider, and I would also say it's partially an effect of the Hobbits continuing to call him Strider, right? Um, but, um, uh, uh, but uh, but but yes, I mean I do think that that's important. I do think that that uh, the Aragorn versus Strider thing, and we will see sort of transitional moments, right? Um, we'll get we'll get a bunch of those as we move uh, as we move forward. Um, and I agree, I agree that Gimli, uh, Mad Violinist, and uh, Drowsnake, uh, and a couple others. Who else is talking about this? Um, Silk Wesket. Um, that Gimli is also sort of more in our reach in that way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I'm interested kind of going back to Aragorn sitting with his head bowed to his knees again. Um, there is a humanizing of Aragorn there, isn't there? Right. Um, he is not just a, a kind of a comic book hero. Um, and that's not fair to comic book heroes, by the way. Uh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. Um, but uh, he's not like some kind of, uh, uh, well, megalithic statue or something um, uh, at this moment, for sure, right? Who just kind of goes around and, and is, is sort of automatic. We see him having a moment like we don't know what he's thinking, right? Um, because, of course, our narrator has gone out of his way to point out that he's having a moment, even if we can't fully understand what that moment is, right? But he's having an important moment, and it, it prompts us to uh, uh, to imagine it uh, as we as we see. But as we talked about, um, but it is once again Aragorn is still. I mean, no, he's like sitting, like he's literally down. At our, we're not looking up at him at this moment, right? Um, in fact, if you were standing higher up on the steps, you might be looking down at Aragorn at this moment, and. I, I might seem to be making a joke, and I'm I'm kind of joking, but I'm actually also kind of not. There is a way in which that um, eye line of sight um, 
you know, angle of vision actually does project uh, in the Lord of the Rings. It's uh, it's not like it's a sure measure at all times, but there's definitely something to that. Uh, again, we are all about our eyes are about three feet off the ground, right? We're we're looking at this story from Hobbit perspective. We're looking up, very much up, at some people, right? I mean, you'll notice, of course, the obvious correlation uh, in Tolkien between height and, you know, leadership, between physical stature and spiritual stature, right? This is not... Um, uh, that's, a, that, that, that's a clear trend. That's a clear trend, right? Again, when, when you're looking... When there's somebody that you can look up to in Tolkien, you're usually literally looking up to him, right? Um, Aragorn is, we learned in uh, the nature of Middle-earth, is 6'6", six, six, and Boromir is 6'4". Um, they're tall. Um, yeah. Now, even the dwarves are a little bit taller than the hobbits, right? Um, but um, anyway, okay. But I'm not, gonna, I'm not letting myself get too distracted. Let us indeed get to the pony. Bill, my lad, he said, you oughtn't to have took up with us. You could have stayed here and at the best hay till the new grass comes. Bill swished his tail and said nothing. Um, uh, okay. Um, first... Sam's comment, then Bill's comment, right? Um, Sam is chiding Bill. I was asking before the extent to which we think Sam is projecting onto Bill. Um, <laughs> and as before, when I talked about this, I am prepared to, for the onslaught of people who think I am impugning Sam's ability actually to, uh, you know, communicate with the pony. And I'm not. Um, what I am saying, though, is I think there's a reason Sam talks to Bill the way that he does, um, and at the times that he does. Um, I think that he is saying, expressing to Bill things um, that um, he is not comfortable expressing to other people, right? Um, he is giving advice. You oughtn't to have took up with us. This was very foolish of you, Bill, my lad, right? Now notice, he takes the sting out of his words to the pony by the affectionate address, right? Bill, my lad, right? Then just call him Bill. If he had just called him Bill, then the pony might have thought that he was being rebuked, right? You oughtn't to have took up with us. You've done something wrong, Bill the pony, is what those words appear to say, right? Or at the very least, you've done something foolish. Um, but again, Sam softens his words with the affectionate phrase, right? Bill, my lad, he said, you oughtn't to have, to, you oughtn't to have took up with us. You could have stayed here and at the best hay till the new grass comes. He first 
observes that it was a poor decision. A poor decision on Bill's part to come along on this trip. And he urges him to consider what he might have done, what he might have, what might have happened to him had he not taken this rash step, right? If he had stayed here in Rivendell, he would have had the best hay until the new grass came. And then, oh man, right? Can you imagine how good the grass in Rivendell must taste if you're a pony? I mean, I bet the grass is really good there, right? You got to think so. Um, yeah. And Almeria, that's exactly what I hear going on, you know? Um, Sam could have written this yeah, well, maybe. Anyway, I don't know if Sam wrote it. But anyway, that Sam is revealing his personal thoughts without being too personal or self-revealing. Yeah, exactly. This is not... Sam is not saying... I mean, this is, this is obviously connected with Sam's own desire for adventure being at its lowest ebb, right? And we could easily... We could easily translate his words to Bill here, right? Um, this is why I, I say I'm pretty sure there's some projection going on here, right? Um, in one sense, he oughtn't to have taken up with Mr. Frodo, right? He oughtn't to have. He could have stayed here, right? Um, he, ought, he could have stayed home. I mean, there were good, safe, comfortable options. Again, not just safe, not just comfortable, but but good, excellent options, right? Um, now, I'm not saying that Sam could have, should have, you know, made a different choice, or that he's regretting his choice. All of those would be too strong. And notice, he couldn't express this without going there, if he were actually talking about himself, right? By framing this as advice to the pony, it's safe. It's safe to say, right? What we get is this, what might have been remaining behind, not only in comfort, but, but in bliss, right? I mean, we know Rivendell is bliss for Sam, right? Elves, sir, right? And the singing that goes to your heart and all of these things, right? I mean, Sam, my goodness, right? Um, Sam and Bill alike could stay in Rivendell, and it would be paradise for the both of them, right? Um, he's not expressing regret on him, about his choice. He's not expressing regret. He's not expressing a desire that he had made another choice. But we know he's feeling it. His desire for adventure is at its lowest ebb, which means, by extension, I mean, logically... If your desire for adventure is at its lowest, your desire to remain home is at its highest, right? Um, a very big part of him is wanting to stay and metaphorically eat the best hay till the new grass comes, right? Um, that's... Uh, and think also... Yeah, Jackie, I'm thinking about your comment about uh, Bill being an enlightened pony. Um, 
think about the comment that he made about Bill before, that if Bill had stayed, if he stayed in Rivendell much longer, he would talk, right? The wonder of change that has come over Bill the Pony, which is not just about his physical, the glossiness of his coat uh, and such. I mean, that, that obviously, right, is what is pointed to. But Sam points to more, right? Sam says that the, that pony would talk if he stayed here much longer. There's been, a, there's been an intellectual, he's, he's, he's growing in stature, right? Um, he might cross the line from, you know, dumb beast, by which I mean unspeaking beast, right, uh, into talking beast, um, he might become, to use C.S. Lewis's very useful word, uh, now, right? He might, I mean, like, to Sam looks like it, he might become that. But again, you see how there's also some projection there too, right? Sam, what would happen to Sam if he stayed in Rivendell, right? He might become a poet, a real poet, right? Proper poet, he might write proper poetry, uh, he might um, he might become a scholar, um, you know, surrounded by so many stories and tales and uh, songs. We know, uh, remembering ahead, we know what Sam's, remembering both ahead and behind, we know what Sam's response is to poetry that he likes, right? Um, and that is memorizing them, right? Think of what would happen to Sam if his mind were stuffed with, you know, years worth of elf poetry that he learned and that he listened to. Um, that's, that's, uh, I think there's a real picture there. I think there's something that Sam feels there that again, that's why I think in both cases, both of the times he's been talking both about and to Bill here in these last couple paragraphs, he's doing some projecting here. Um, now, likely about, I totally agree with you. I don't think Sam does. I don't think Sam is seriously tempted to stay in Rivendell um, with Frodo leaving. I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think he is. I don't think he. Well, no. I mean, I think he's tempted. I think he feels it. He feels the desire to stay. He feels how much he would love to remain there, right? Now, that's not the same thing as saying, like, he's this close to making the uh, decision not to go. No, he's going, right? There's no question about that. He's standing there waiting to go, right? He's already made up his mind, and he's not going to take that back. His will is set, but your will and your desire are not the same thing, right? And I think that he is here not only just acknowledging the desire. But acknowledging, it's that word oughtn't that I think is so, Im, is so revealing there, right? You oughtn't to have took up with us. It was not, that was not a shrewd move, Bill, right? That was not a shrewd move. Um, you didn't, you, you, you oughtn't to have took up with us. Um, it would have, you would have been better off. Again, it's, it's the ought that gives it the sense of advice, that sentence, the sense of, of advice, right? Um, and there's a sense in which he also knows that on one level, he oughtn't to have done this, right? That level of uh, being sensible, right? Uh, I don't think the gaffer would be 
a hundred percent in favor of Sam going off to Mordor with Frodo, right? I, I, I don't think I think I think that uh, the gaffer might have some uh, pithy things to say about that, right? As indeed Sam shall be quoting what he thinks his father would have said to him uh, at various points in his future journey, right? Um, yeah, I do suspect, Emily, that the word ninny hammer might indeed have featured uh, in there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. But of course, notice also there's, there's, there's another parallel at work here. Um, it's one thing to say, I mean, when you take that statement on its surface, you oughtn't to have took up with us, Bill. On the one hand, of course, in one sense, I should say it makes sense. In the sense of, take up with us to go on this journey, right, to Mordor. You could have stayed in Rivendell instead. But of course, if you take one step back from that statement, it's utterly absurd, right? You want to have took up with us? Well, what ought I have done, Sam? Stay with Bill Fernie in Bree? Would I, would I have been better off then? Right? Obviously not, right? And clearly Sam would not say... It's the, the, Sam's in the, a parallel situation, right? Um, he's taken up with Mr. Frodo, right? Um, and as a result, he's now headed off on, like, what seems from the outside to be something only just short of a suicide mission to Mordor, right? Storming the strong, the center of the Dark Lord's power, right? Yeah. Uh, his father often warned him he'd come to a bad end, right? And he seems headed straight that way in a, a rather spectacular way, right? Um, so in that sense, when you look at it from that perspective, well, yeah, he'd he oughtn't to have took up with Mr. Frodo, right? But if he hadn't taken up with Mr. Frodo, he'd never come to Rivendell at all. He'd never have met an elf, right? If he hadn't have taken up with Mr. Bilbo, like with the Bagginses at all, he would never have learned his letters. He would never, he wouldn't know a single scrap of poetry. Very likely, right? Um... You know, so we can see that parallel seems to me an important one, right? Both of them um, have had a great wonder of change worked on them. Um, if I were doing... Well, let me, instead of doing a theoretical, let me say this another way. When the Silmarillion film project gets around to the Lord of the Rings story, which we'll get to eventually, in a few decades, when we get there, I would depict Sam as having a lot of room to go... Uh, I, it should be pretty... Like, the future mayor, author, and scholar that is going to be coming... Right? The great leader and forester and everything that Sam is going to be in the Shire for decades following this. Right? 
when you meet Sam, you know, when you see Sam at, um, uh, at Bilbo's party, say, right, where he certainly was, it should look completely, completely unlikely. Like, he should look like somebody that nobody could possibly imagine would amount to anything, right? Um, if you see what I mean. I'm not trying to say that he was a horrible person before or anything like that. Um, but there's a transformation, just as there is with Bill, right? A great wonder of change. Um, uh, Sam's friends are literally not going to recognize him when he gets home. Uh, from this journey. Um, and that's, I think, an important thing to remember, right? But anyway, um, of course, the parallel isn't that tight. He was not like in a Bill Fernie-esque situation right before he took up with the Bagginses or something like that. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, I, I do think that that important, uh, that, that parallel uh, is important and again feeds into this kind of projection that Sam is doing here, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, hang on a second. Um, um, let's see, Matt, you had a comment that I wanted to come back to and I've lost it. Could you read? Oh, there it is, found it. Okay. Um, right. Matt was saying, uh, it's also true that Bill the Pony has no more choice in this than Sam does. They both know their action, their affections and their duties. Uh, but it is the right of every servant, servant and soldier to gripe about their situation, even if they would never walk away. Yeah, there's definitely an element of that. Um, uh, what he says, what Sam says out loud is, uh, not necessarily a reflection of, it's certainly not a conviction of where the conviction of his heart is, right? Um, the grumbling, right? The griping. I agree. But notice how he's even one step removed from that. He could just do the soldier's gripe, right? Um, uh, complaining about the situation that he's in, right? But he's not. Instead, he turns it, right? And projects it and says wisely to the pony, you want to have took up with us. That was a really bad move, right? Um, you could have had you, if you'd played your cards right, you'd be in pony paradise, right? For the rest of your natural life, uh, your possibly unnaturally long life, right? Um, so he doesn't, he doesn't just make it into a complaint or he, he, I, I do agree, Matt, that that impulse is there, um, that that's kind of one of the things that we're seeing there. Um, is but uh, that griping impulse, I mean. Um, but um, but it's, it's even that, I think, is a little bit uh, submerged. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Bill's response? Bill swished his tail and said nothing, right? Now, the said nothing is really funny, right? Uh, and I love that. Uh, Bill swished his tail and said nothing. Um, the fact that Bill is not... Bill's lack of contribution to this conversation uh, has nothing to do with him being 
a beast, <laughs> right? It has to do... This is, uh, his, he was tactfully saying nothing. He's saying nothing <laughs> because... Um, uh, he's saying nothing because there's, he has nothing to say to this. Right. Like he's his saying nothing shows that this comment is unworthy of response. Right. It is a it is a it is a clear choice to say nothing. Um, exactly. Lupita, it, he chooses not to say something. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's swishing his tail. Uh, Chris, I really liked that. Um, I really liked your reading. He swishes his tail as if he's swatting away Sam's suggestion like an annoying fly, right? The only thing he does say is a tail swish. And Greyest Hound, I, I believe you that a tail swish is a valid equine communication. That does not surprise me one bit. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so Bill is more or less literally brushing off Sam's comment here. Right. Um, right, exactly. As evil Dr. Cannon says, duly noted and ignored. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so here we have the answer. I, once again, Bill seems to be in tune with, right, um, a spokesperson for Sam's own feeling, right? Because, of course, this is what Sam himself is doing. In as much as Sam is giving voice to, um, to these thoughts, right? Projecting these thoughts onto Bill, or at least directing them at Bill instead of at himself, right? Um, what's Sam going to do to these feelings? This desire to stay in Rivendell. Um, this, or, or, you know, to stay in Rivendell and then go home, Right. Um, uh, he brushes it off, right? Sam also is going to figuratively swish his tail and say nothing, right? Uh, not, uh, not move forward to this. Yeah, Chris, I think that's exactly right. Um, uh, Chris is remembering ahead to when Sam is going to be arguing with himself, uh, uh, much closer to the end of his journey and when Sam is going to say to himself so stop arguing right? and uh, Chris says that this is uh, Bill swishing his tail is sort of the equivalent of that um, it hasn't yet it hasn't yet reached the point where he's got to say that aloud right? that's going to be a harder spot a much harder spot um, and uh, and he Sam will need to actually first muster arguments and then simply refuse to argue any further, right? Um, but, um, but yeah, then he, um, here, it's still early in the process, but I agree. I, I do think that this is sort of the equivalent here. Um, yeah. 
Now that's interesting, Likeliabot. Likeliabot wants to contrast this attitude with Bilbo's constant regrets. You meaning you mean uh, how Bilbo's always thinking about eggs and bacon and uh, his fireplace with the kettle just beginning to sing those those passages there? Um, yeah, Bilbo's always thinking of home. Yeah, okay. If I had to contrast it, I'd do something like this. In Bilbo, we see, as I talked about in my book, the whole Took and Baggins thing, right? Bilbo is divided from the very beginning. A part of him doesn't ever want to leave at all. Like, you know, uh, a part of, part of it was just overridden, right, um, when the Tookishness comes out. But, um, but the Took part is real. Right. Um, and there is a desire for adventure there. And we see that in various ways. And the balance is kind of shifting over the course of the book. Both of them are kind of informing each other. Um, they're not static elements all the way through the book. Um, but um, but even by the end of the book, we get, you know, like that took part of him was getting very tired. Right. As it gets towards the end. Sam is not so much divided in his heart on this in this thing, because with Sam, the main difference between Bilbo and Sam is, yeah, sense of purpose, likely. But I was thinking, duty was what I was, what is what I was going to say, um, and that's a word that's not a very evocative word for a lot of people, um, but I think it's important to Sam, right? Bilbo, Bilbo didn't have any responsibility to do what he was doing, you know. Um, there's something a little bit more dilettante about Bilbo's entire adventure from beginning to end. Now, there's like real needs, right? Uh, you know, the um, dwarf song is a moving song about what they've lost and um, and you know what they hope to regain and and the tragedy of their people. And I mean, there's there's not that there's no pathos there, and there's um, that it's all just a you know whimsical and whatever. But it's a but it's a it's a it's a treasure hunt, right? Um, and uh, anyway, Sam with Sam, it's it's not that right. We don't just see Sam's desire for adventure and his desire for home or whatever. I mean, in one sense, of course, you can see there are kind of there are more than two poles, right? Um, with Sam, right there, um, we we don't just have desire for adventure and the desire to stay home and be safe, right? The Took and Baggins elements from Bilbo. We don't see just that, right? Sam has, he loves home, and he loves, uh, you know, I mean, he has responsibilities there. Um, his aged father, whom he's left behind, um, his practical, practically already fiancé, who would have been his fiancé if he had not been leaving with Mr. Frodo. Um, the only reason he hasn't spoken, as he will say later, is because he was leaving. Right. So and he's, he's he's left both of those things behind. That's a big deal. Right. That's a big deal. Um, and what's on the other side? What's pushing him in the opposite direction from those things? His. Well, his responsibility to Frodo. But look, um, he's from the beginning going well above the call of duty of a servant. Right. Um you know, 
Frodo's gardener and manservant does not need, I don't even know that he is his manservant originally, um, uh, does not have to accompany, it's not, it is not incumbent upon him to accompany Frodo on his travels, right? Um, uh, Bilbo didn't bring any servants with him on his travels, right? Even though he had them, uh, uh, we know. But we have, yes, uh, Jackie, we do have the desire uh, for marvels, right? For, for, for elves. He loves songs and tales about elves and the sea and uh, all of these things, and he would like to see these things. There is that impulse within him, which is not quite the same as Bilbo's Tookish impulse, right? Um, but then there is something else, right? Something greater as well, that sense of destiny uh, that several of you have been um, have been talking about, right? Um, yes. There, there's something he has to do before the end, and he needs to see it through. Right? There is a calling on Sam that he feels, that he's aware of, that is more than just his devotion to Frodo. Um, it is the right thing for him to do, to go. And of course, like, his own personal, completely personal desires, right? Desire to return home, desire to be in Rivendell, desire to stay with Mr. Frodo. All of those things are all tangled up in it, but there's that one thing overall, right? His, uh, his sense of duty, his sense of purpose, his calling. Um, he must see it through. Yeah, he must see it through. Um, and so he's chosen. But his heart is not always good. His desire for adventure still has low ebbs, right? Um, he's aware of this division in himself. It's not the same, I think, in this way as Bilbo's uh, desire for home, you know, for his tea kettle and whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, now two juice men, we'll get back to that uh, soon. Soon now, when we get to uh, Elrond and Gimli's wonderful conversation. Um, yes, Lady Lakata, I agree. Sam considers his desires as secondary to his purpose. I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, both desires, right? Because you'll notice this is not a, you know, both of his other, like he has several positive desires, right? Uh, like his desire to go home, his desire to stay in Rivendell and learn more from the elves and see more of the elves and hear more of their tales. Um, he is uh, suppressing both of those desires, right? He's refusing both of those desires in order to leave. Um, you also have his, uh, and of course he does have a desire to follow Frodo as well. There's also the negative desires, right? Like desire not to die, <laughs> for instance, right? Um, but, um, but yeah, he, um, and he does have, yes, faith and hope, and we'll get to those. This is one of the things that I want to look at most when it comes to Sam. 
Um, Sam is going to be the place where he's going to be the one from whom we're going to learn most, I think, about hope over the course of The Lord of the Rings. And um, uh, so I want to be looking at that pretty carefully. Um, yeah, and Wobe, I agree. Sam does not attribute a purpose to Bill. So there's a bit of envy there. That's exactly it, Wobe. That's why he's gently, kindly chastising Bill here. You oughtn't to have took up with us, right? You, you don't, you, you didn't have to have, right? You don't have, you're not in this. You don't, there's no purpose. There's no destiny laid upon you. Um, so far as Sam knows, anyway, right? Um, so yes, I think that there is some envy there. Or again, this is, to say that another way, we see another one of the effects of Sam's projection of these feelings onto Bill, right? Instead of just making his own gripe, right? Instead of just making his own complaint about his situation and saying, <clears throat> you know, I really shouldn't have, shouldn't have come along, right? I never should have took up, and I never should have got mixed up with those Bagginses, right? And that's talking like his dad might have talked, right? But he could say something like that. And not, not that he would really mean it, right? I mean, there would be like, it would be like a kind of quasi-hobbitry thing. I say quasi-hobbitry because it's not quite the, you know, kind of jocular teasing of equals, but, um, but a gripe like that, that you say and you don't really mean it anything like you say it, but you still say it. Like, that's, there's, that's a, I, I think that's a kind of a, a subspecies of hobbitry, actually. But anyway, um, he doesn't do that. Instead, he transforms it into, you know, sort of, you know, avuncular advice to the pony, right? But well, the other thing that he does accomplish by doing that is he acknowledges, right, that it's it's different for you, Bill. I can't, um, I couldn't have stayed here, and even metaphorically, at the best hay, till the new grass comes, right? I couldn't have done. I have a, I have a purpose. I have a destiny. I have a calling, laid upon me. Um, but you don't. And so in that moment, he is imagining, right? Imagining advice given to somebody who doesn't have that, right? Who didn't have to choose it. Um, entertaining the idea, the image, just momentarily, entertaining the image of choosing the other way, right? Somebody else choosing the other way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, no, exactly, um, exactly, Torumbar. It's not exactly, projection isn't quite exactly right uh, as a characterization of that. It's a, it's kind of, uh, uh, it's, 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 I, I, I agree. It's kind of a sloppy way to describe it. Um, it's like that, but it isn't exactly the same. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, Jackie, 
That's an interesting question, Jack. He says, back when Pippin says Elrond rewarded Sam with a place in the Fellowship, I've always wondered what Sam's take was on that perspective. And Jackie, I'd add one further thing to that, right? Remember, Sam brings up Pippin. Um, you know, he gave me a look, he meaning Bill, right? Gave me a look as plain as Mr. Pippin could speak it, right? Um, and I wonder, Jackie, if Sam, even in that moment isn't remembering that comment by Pippin, right? Elrond goes and rewards him for his cheek instead of clapping him in irons, which of course Pippin also seems to be remembering when he says, you'll have to clap me in irons to keep me from going, right? Um, the more I think about it, Jackie, the more inextricably those two passages actually seem to be, or three passages, right? Pippin's comment about Sam, Pippin's volunteer, you know, his speech to Elrond, insisting on coming, and then Sam's recollection, uh, his allusion to Pippin's um, uh, decision to come. Um, and I'm not sure um, I'm not sure Hmm. I'm not sure, Jackie, exactly all what I do with it. I don't necessarily think there's any actual, like, tension between Sam and Pippin here. I, I don't go that direction at all. Um, but I would say this. Notice here, in his remarks to Bill, Sam is operating under the at least fictitious premise that Bill has a choice, right? You oughtn't to have took up with us. You made the wrong call, Bill. And you had an option. You didn't have to do this, right? You didn't have to, but you did. Bad call, right? He did volunteer, but doesn't, but feels he has a calling. There's this external pressure that has been laid upon him, right? He has a purpose. Um, Pippin. Where's Pippin in that spectrum, right? Pippin is also volunteering, right? Um, so, Marina, I'm not sure. So, I'm not sure that it's the same. On the one hand, does Pippin have a role to play? Well, of course he does. Will it turn out to have been good that they came? Of course it will. As Gandalf shall smugly remark on more than one occasion. <laughs> but does that mean that Merry and Pippin have a calling upon them like Sam's? I'm not convinced of that. I'm not convinced of that. Um... I don't think that's how destiny works. I don't think that's how destiny works in Tolkien. Yeah, Ered was just saying free will and destiny aren't opposed. No, they're not. No, they're not. And um, I don't think that destiny is simply a railroad script either. When Sam says... 
he feels he has to see it through, he still has a choice. He could turn back. Um, uh, I don't think that... Merry and Pippin have roles to play. They are absolutely used by Providence because they have come along. Their choice to come along has been rewarded, will be rewarded for themselves and for others, right? It will indeed be good that they came. But I don't think that that necessarily means that they, from the beginning, like now, have a calling upon them, that they too, like Sam, have something to do before the a thing that they feel called to move forward to do um i don't think that's how destiny works nor do i hear any evidence in mary and pippin's talk that that's what's informing them they come out of love for frodo right they are um we're your friends frodo says Mary, back in the conspiracy chapter. And that's, um, you know, it depends on what you want, right? Um, if you want people who will stick with you through thick and thin, then he has what he wants, right? Um, that's what Mary and Pippin um, get, likely about absolutely. They love Frodo, but they probably don't really get what's at stake here, not really. They will say that later on, right? Not just that they can't imagine, could never have foreseen what was going to happen. That's like, well, I mean, of course that's true, right? Um, but they certainly are not... Pippin is not insisting... He's not saying you'll have to clap me in chains uh, in order to keep me from coming because he feels like he has, you know, Apollo Atreides' terrible purpose upon him. I, saw, I forgot who made the Dune reference, but yes, like that. Um... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think so at all. I don't think that he feels that way. I don't think that's even true, right? Again, they're going to be used. Um, it's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be part of it. But, um, um, yeah, we want to go on. Um, that's right. Jackie's quoting from Mary's response to, uh, or from the, yeah, Mary's response to Pippin's comment um, about uh, uh, Sam's cheek, right? If you have to go, then it will be a punishment for any of us to be left behind, even in Rivendell. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I don't think, you know, Mary and Pippin might not feel like they have any other choice because they want to stay with Frodo. Um, but, and I'm sure they have other parts too. I, I, somebody, uh, who was it who was pointing out the inescapable fact that Pippin is, of course, 100% took, right? And that's, that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, both of them have demonstrated a positive desire for adventures. Yeah. Well, you're just saying that, that same thing. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. They both want an adventure. And that clearly makes part of why they want to go along with the company. I mean, I think that that's... Um, I, I think it's silly to overlook that, right? Um, 
And I think that that's what Gandalf means when he responds to Elrond and says, if they knew what lay in front of them, they would not dare to come. Um, right now, their desire for adventure is allied with their love for Frodo, right? They're pushing in the same direction. If they knew what was actually going to be coming for them, they would be at loggerheads. Their desire for Frodo, for, you know, their desire to be with Frodo and to help Frodo would still be directing them to leave, but they, their naive desire for adventure, less naive than it already was a couple months back, right? But, um, uh, it's you know it's already it's already less naive, but it's still more naive than it will be later on, um, and uh, that will would not be their ally anymore in this decision if it were making it. But I do think it's different. I do think it's just in a very different place. Um, uh, now I, I do agree, Matt. I don't want to overlook entirely that there is a sense of duty for Merry and Pippin as well. Um, their cousin is going off into danger. Um, there is a kind of responsibility there. I agree. It would be, um, and, and here, Matt, I think about Gandalf's other, one of Gandalf's other words there, right? They would not only be unhappy. If so, if they, if they didn't dare to go, if they knew what was coming and therefore did not dare to go, they would not only be unhappy, they would be shamed because of that. Right. And I, I think that that's where the shame, um, would come in. Right, they would definitely be feeling. Um, they would definitely be feeling the desire to help, the sense of responsibility. Um, it would be shameful for them to back out now. Um, even just, I mean, again, this is not something that modern American folks take very seriously, um, but their honors as gentlemen are engaged as well, and they are of a social class, probably, uh, to um, take that seriously, right? Um, anyway, so yes, there is, but it's still very different from Sam's sense of purpose, right? Um, yeah, their honor is at risk, their honor is engaged, I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Lupita says, so Sam, Mary, and Pippin mainly go for Frodo, and Bill goes for Sam. Yes. As we'll see again later on. The rest go for the broader picture. Yeah, well, Lupita, I would actually say the rest of them don't go. To be honest. I mean, they're actually going to leave, but they're not going on the quest, remember. Right? Legos and Gimli are going home. By a roundabout route, out of the kindness of their hearts. Right? Boromir and Aragorn are going to Minas Tirith and therefore accompanying Frodo the majority of the way geographically, right? Because that's nice how that works out, right? Um, but only the hobbits are going just for Frodo's sake, for the sake of the ring bearer, right? Um, and then there's Gandalf, right? Um, and then there's Gandalf. Who is going as interim white wizard, unofficially interim white wizard, right? Um, who is guiding the party 
Is he planning? Does he believe? When he sets out, does Gandalf believe he is going to be with at Frodo's side at the cracks of doom? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I suspect Gandalf himself is probably more non-committal than that. Not non-committal in the sense of he's not committed to the quest or doesn't really care what happens to the ring bearer or anything like that. Um, I think let's just say Gandalf is going to get redirected, right? Um, It's going to turn out that Gandalf has duties elsewhere, as is going to be made inescapably clear right, uh, to him uh, by a particular mechanism. Um, I, uh, I guess this could be a, a so there, there could be a sort of life lesson in that, couldn't there? Right? Um, uh, be not too hasty to seek for life guidance because it might take the form of a Balrog with a flaming whip pulling you into the abyss. Um, that'll set you down the proper path and take you off the path you're on in a heartbeat, right? Um, <laughs> Nancy says, there's a deathogram for Gandalf? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, yes. Yes. Um, uh, but, um, anyway. So I don't know what's in Gandalf's mind. If he is operating under the assumption, like, unless I receive a clear set of orders, right, to do something different, I'm sticking with Frodo. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, but the, but the point remains, with that possible uncertain exception of Gandalf, Sam and Merry and Pippin are the only three who are setting out committed to Frodo. And, of course, as you pointed out, since Bill uh, is committed to Sam, the five of them, right, are definitely in it for the long haul. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree, Praise. I think it's clearly the default plan. It's It's not that. It's not that I'm saying that Gandalf is like, yeah, I don't know, I might wander off and leave you guys at the edge of Mirkwood or something. I, he's done it before, right? But uh, those d- different circumstances. Um, but um, it's not that I, I think that Gandalf is trying to decide what he wants to do. Um, I'm just not 100% convinced from the beginning that Gandalf is confident is going to pan out that way, basically. But... Um, Anyway, we'll um, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll get more chances to look at uh, Gandalf's uh, thoughts uh, about this as we move forward. Um, okay, so those are the few last thoughts I had on this slide before we move on to the next slide. <laughs> which I was totally going to do after talking about this slide for just a... I mean, obviously, I wasn't going to spend the whole class talking about two sentences. 
well, three. We kind of talked about the previous sentence, too. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess if I were as wise as Gandalf, I might have foreseen it, perhaps. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Um, <laughs> cool. All right. I think I am going to choose the path of wisdom. Oh, by the way, so um, um, I got to hang out with, uh, among other people, uh, Evil Dr. Cannon at TexMoot, and he showed me this new chart that he made based on the mathematical projections, uh, you know, based on his mathematical modeling of our rate of progress and the curve of our rate of progress through, um, uh, through the book, uh, he's made a, a chart about in what years we can expect to get to what chapters. I'll share that with you guys next time. Um, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a, a chance to transfer it onto a slide here today but um it's um it was striking i was i was struck um let's just say i come from a long-lived family on my mother's side uh there's time yet um i think it could happen um it is going to be this century emily i feel confident i feel confident in that um but um uh, let's just say I'm not really planning a sequel <laughs> to this podcast <laughs> and I'll leave it there. <laughs> so there we are. Um, okay. Anyway, I will, I will share that, uh, in a slide next time. Uh, people have several times said, um, you know, am I going to do exploring the Silmarillion when I'm done with this? And I'm like, man, <laughs> my goal, my goal is to alive and still retain some of my wits by the time we get to the end of this. Um, so there we are. But, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely have to bequeath it to someone. Uh, someone can go on and, uh, and do it. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, there we are. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to switch over and do a field trip now. I'm trying to be better and, and closer to on time than I have been of late. Uh, but thanks everybody for a really fun discussion. Like I said, I was not even planning to, uh, uh, be spending this much time discussing this tonight, but I'm glad we did. I thought that was really good. So, uh, Thanks for that, and let's get back. We're gonna go back to uh, back to the angle, back to the new spot in the troll shaws, right? So right. just uh, you know, you, you don't have to tell me the actual answer, but you can kind of hint maybe that um, like are our kids like part of AARP? Or just buying retirement homes when we uh, finish? I, th I, 
I think my kids will not yet qualify for AARP. It's not quite so bad as that. <laughs> it's not quite so bad as that. I think the I, the, the the potential of uh, my finishing this series is very real. It's very real. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's right. Two Juice Man says, "Will will the Simpsons still be running?" Yes, almost certainly, the Simpsons will still be running. Yeah, um, that and Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're never exactly. going to die, guys. All right. Um, so I think we can... Or I think we'll start at uh, Gyrond again, which is where I last did my milestone there. Stones, if you were with us last time. Yeah. Um... And no, Vlad the Inspirer, that only just was for the Grey Havens, right? But there might be some time left to still do the appendices in the prologue. Maybe. Maybe. It depends, depends if it's our bedtime by this time then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll start doing our. Uh, we'll start doing the the lectures at five in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Perhaps the day will come when I won't be staying up as late anymore. We'll see. I'm not convinced, but we'll see. Okay, so I guess sorry, I'm looking at the map because I'm trying. I, 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 this is all uncharted territory here. Oh yeah. So I think what I want to do. This must be. No, it is not. Where is? Okay, so. Ah, Echad Kondaleth is above this map. Okay. Or is it? Hang on. Echad Kondaleth must be up here right at the edge of the map. This intersection up here. Okay. I think so, yeah. Like near the... Near Brunin. Okay, so shall we then... Shall we continue down this road until we reach the bottom and then retrace our steps back up towards Echad Kondaleth up the... up the other... Angle up the up uh, up the hypotenuse of the new angle. Sure. Okay. Just trying to f so like where to go last week was easy. The ruins on the hill right nearby, but um, um, here we're going to need to. All right. So I need to go. Let's go on the road around the ruins because we went up through the ruins last time. Mm-hmm. This ground mist effect is really cool. Oh, there's an elf here. Yeah. Ravedron. Ravedron? Yeah. Rave. Ravai. Yeah, Ravidron. Ravidron? Ravidron? Yeah. Yeah. So, Pokemojo, no, problem is not, my kids are, my kids are old enough now, uh, my start time is now utterly independent of my children, one of them's in college now, and the other one is a teenager, um, just turned 14, actually, um, so he doesn't need my help anymore. No, now the issue is I'm, like, uh, putting my wife to sleep. <laughs> she, she goes to bed early, uh, so and so it's... Problem. It's like the oh, yeah, uh, no, yeah. getting time with my wife before class every evening is the issue. Oh, 
Oh yeah, my so, no, my husband's the same. He goes to bed at like seven thirty or something crazy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But so I have to sleep in in the morning. Okay, so here we are on the back side of the hill. There's that ruin up on the hill that we were at last week. And then we see... I see in the foreground another ruin. Shorter ruin. From here looks Arnorian, I'm going to say. Does yeah. not look elvish. Rudaran, maybe. Yeah, I think we're looking at a probable Rudaran ruin. And then I'm trying to figure if I can see... A larger ruin on the horizon, but I, I'm seeing trees. Not real sure about that. Okay. Yeah. So let's try to look around. Of course, it's yeah, it's mm -hmm. almost always night when we are doing. Uh oh. Spotted a caravan. Well, you know, how many horses have we seen actually harnessed to a wagon in Lotro? It's really yeah, a, know, right? a comparatively small number. I've seen horses and wagons near each other a lot, but actually harnessed? Yeah. Huh. Okay, so we've got, what, a, a human couple here? Yeah. Okay. The, um, we were asked to go look for an elderly couple that had gone missing. Oh, were we? That was so. That was one of the quests: is finding them. Oh, and, and look, there's a ghost right over here. Okay, yep. so what oath did these dudes break? Are these guys I don't know, people breaking oaths left and right all over the place? Yeah, you'd think they'd have learned their lesson, right? I mean, he wore white after Labor Day. Okay, so. This guy, can I just say the idea of shooting ghosts with arrows from a distance just seems to me particularly ridiculous. I mean, it's not intrinsically more ridiculous than swinging your sword at them and killing them, but it feels stranger for some reason. But anyway, um, I, okay. So wait, no. Let me count the oath breakers. So we have the main oath breakers, of course. Yes. In the paths of the dead. And mm -hmm. we have the foremost oath breakers yes. who had their own story. And we had the um uh have to look at a map to make sure. Yeah, who else? There's the other oath breakers. There's the um uh the ones in Dunland. Right? Yes. They were, the, were the ones in Dunland who broke a much more local oath, right? Which had nothing to do with Gondor or Arnor, as I recall. Yeah, it was just And a then curse. it was like a matter of local uh, allegiances or something like that. And then we had the Field of Celebrant. Yeah, the Great River ones, Tomas, exactly. Yeah, the Field of yeah. Celebrant um, oath breakers. Um... Lone lands in the ruins south of Oscaruth. They're oathbreakers yeah, there too. I I think those are there ghosts. Are. I don't know if they're oathbreakers. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. They're, they're right. They're under some kind of curse, right? Yeah. Which, of course, so are the oathbreakers, right? I mean, that's kind of the yes. whole point. 
Right. Right. There's more northeast of Enuminous? Man. Mm-hmm. People never learn. Never learn. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. So these guys, though, the reason I was reviewing that is I just want, I'm like, I couldn't remember if we were close to, I guess we're relatively close to the ones south of Oscar Ruth. Are these the same ones? Right, yeah, those are the ones that Tom Bombadil cursed, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They broke their oath to protect the Red Maid. Right, right. Well, that would make sense if this is Radaran, then. Right. Yeah, I would think these might be the same subspecies. An Oathbreaker coward. Oh, man, that guy's like a double whammy right there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, look at that. Oh, got it in one. Okay, so there's... Yeah. Uh, Oh, Oh, and there it is. Both the scepter of Anu. It's hard to see, but I gotta turn off my little overhead light here. The scepter of Anuminous and the crown of Rudar. Oh yes, absolutely nailed it. The Rudarin crown on the side. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Who's this guy? A Ravager? Huh. Dead Slayer of the Angle. Oh dear. Um, is the uh, is the mist just purely ghostly atmosphere thing? It was up on the hill too. I think this is just kind of a wet area because it's near okay, the water. It's just a just a just a, a weather phenomenon. I think so. That's the glowing ancient artifact. Okay. Hmm. All right. So what do we have here? Doesn't we are. In Rudown, I gotta, I gotta look at, I gotta look at the map here. I gotta look at the big map. Okay, we are. Pretty far south for Rudauer, but I suppose the Rudaurans would probably have controlled the whole angle down here. It makes a certain amount of sense. Rudauer was really huge, honestly, from. Oh, yeah like the western half of the North Downs, right, through all the Trollshaws, down near to Weathertop, at least. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Just trying to get my geographical boundaries on the, uh, you know, uh, Omnes Ardor is, Arnor is divided into three parts thing. Um, Okay, so we've come in through the wall with a nice, reasonably defensible gate. We have a big old courtyard with the crown of Rudar in the middle of it. And these columns. Yeah, we've seen these columns before. This looks yeah, a lot like the runes in... Um Oh. Was there a roof over this, do you think? Maybe. This part, maybe. Huh. It looks like uh, pillars would have been supporting a colonnade in the open-air middle. Right, yeah, these columns here. Right, so we would have... Freeland roofs. Okay, so we have this upper... We have the upper and lower courtyards. Mm-hmm. Right, and a colonnade coming down probably with arches or something down to the 
Makes sense. There would have probably been buildings along the inside, like stables and such, along the insides of the walls, wooden buildings. And then we come up here. This is clearly the center point, right, with all of these columns, right, starting close into you here, then extending out. So like this whole this whole thing frames the frames the thing. Now, if you'd been standing here, interestingly, you're looking right out at the elf ruin up there. Yeah. Which would have already been ruinous, presumably. Yeah. Right? As that was made and presumably ruined in the Second Age during uh -huh. the Wars of Sauron in Eriador. So, like, refugees from, from Eregion would have been coming north up here. Uh -huh. um, and. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So anyway, point is, those would already been ruined. Memento Mori from here. What'd you say? It's like a big memento mori over here. Well, exactly. That's the really interesting thing about it, right? That they decided not to take that over. I mean, look, I mean, it's ruined, but there's a whole bunch of good stonework already up there, right? Not to mention that it's a better defensive position because it's on a higher hill, obviously, right? Yeah. So you're the Rudarin Lord or whatever, who's building this castle here and you choose not to just like build on top of that or, you know, in, in, integrate that. That would have been one obvious choice would be to say yeah. like, Hey, I'm going to free stone. Yeah. Free stone, free walls already built, right? I'm just going to good defensive position. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to head up there. You don't do that. You don't do that. But in addition to not going up there, you make it so that this spot, like this is the place where you're going to stand and everyone's going to see you, right? So, like, you would come out of this little doorway here, right? You know, you come around the corner and you march out, da 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 And there's the columns on either side and the whole colonnade down. So, like, the people who come to visit or whatever would be standing and they'd have been ushered up into this courtyard and, and they'd all be standing there. And, be, and so you're looking out straight at the ruin on the hill. Right. So they don't want to live up there in the elf ruin, but they're doing the opposite of like hiding from the elf ruin. Right. They're they're they, they, they make it they construct the sight lines of their whole fortress to be directed at it. Which is really interesting. Weird choice. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, it's almost like some sort of boast of ha, they fell, but we're never going to. Right. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, I, yeah, Amare is wondering if they, you know, fear or respect it. I, I wonder that too. Um, I don't know. Uh, Sounds like they just got big heads about it. I could easily imagine the Rudarans. I mean, the Rudarans are the ones most heavily, of course, under the influence of uh, of of Angmar, and so would have most um, uh, would have most antagonism for the elves. Uh, certainly, likeliest to have anti-elf superstitions. And such like, yeah. right? Um, uh, but um, yeah, yeah. Whether there would be a fear, fear respect thing going on, Almeria, that would that would prompt them to that there would be some reverence for this. Um, maybe, perhaps something like an invidious, uh, you know, some kind of invidious comparison. 
uh, Valori, as you were suggesting, right? Like, the elf kingdoms fell, but we remain kind of deal. And always will. Right, yeah, because just because they fell totally does not mean that we should learn the lesson and remember that we too are living even more transitory lives, but um, okay, and then this but this central hall thing is uh, whoa, tiny what even is this? Backstage. Yeah, this is the green room. That's what this is. It's the green room. That ceiling is wacky with the multiple patterns. It probably had two stories. Right, there was probably a wooden floor extending along like where that ridge is yeah. so there would have been an upstairs maybe the upstairs is like a feast hall or something it's like a breakfast nook hall grow. yeah yeah you know one man's feasting hall is another man's bre breakfast nook I mean it's smaller than I expected but still I mean look how many of us are standing in here you could have put yeah. you know several great tables up there for a feast hall maybe and then down here is the approach right so you'd you'd come in here and you'd have like the cloak room over there i'm just kidding about that and then you'd have the you know like the then you go upstairs right there's probably like the quieting room for the children and then you go upstairs and then there's the the feast hall and stuff yeah something like that it certainly does not is not a palace it's not even really a fortress. I mean, it's strongly built. Oh, hang on. It's got wings back here, though. Yeah. It was all closed in on the inside. It was like a little tunnel in there, but... Um, can we get anywhere? No, we can't. Can we, can we get around? Let's see. I don't want to run afoul of the cliffs here, but... Yeah. Yeah, well, well I yeah, think we can still... Slip through the canyon. Okay, it's getting a little dodgy back here. Where's the back door? I'm seeing a, a colonnade there. I'm seeing another little keep. Oh, there nope, we go. Nope, nope, nope. Not working out down there. Maybe eventually you can get around to it. Well... Thank you, Scouts. Maybe we need a refresher from the other side. Yeah, let's look around the other side and see what we see. Let's see. Ostweiden. All right. Okay. Well. No, it's much worse. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the rest of the castle was utterly inaccessible. Yeah. Let's fall, everyone dies. Huh. And I mean, over here, 
So we've got the one door. And then on this side. Doesn't really make much sense. Would there have been some kind of wooden stairway? That seems hard to imagine. But you've got all of this castle up there that is utterly inaccessible. Yeah, I'd have to say like wooden wooden stairs, probably walkways. Yeah, because the problem is in here we're all completely closed in on yeah. all sides. Maybe there was a secret door from the upstairs up here leading back out. Hmm. I mean, it would make sense that there was some sort of basic ladder up to the ramparts over there. It's possible. Okay, so... Here's the thing that I can't figure out. This seems like it was a sort of minor military outpost. Mm -hmm. I say that because we don't see evidence of lots of houses. Like, it's hard to see a lot of people living here. I mean, there could have been wooden houses along the inside of this courtyard, I suppose. But the... Hey, barracks. It's the grandiosity of the approach lines which seems so strange, right? Cause yeah. Because I mean, so, if I do it again, right? So here you are. You've come to the castle. Mm -hmm. You come through the gates. And here, in the midst of this huge courtyard, is this big old plaza with columns around the corners, right? Here we are. So, like, whatever else, there were, like, streets and stables and maybe little houses and whatever barracks along the walls, the inner walls of this courtyard. But in here in the middle, this is the little plaza, right? So here you've come to the central plaza. And then, dun-dun-dun, the colonnade leading up to the dramatic stairs with columns along it. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun to the colonnade up at the top leading you down through this oh look it's another courtyard with this repeating big old thing right and yeah. then up another flight of stairs is where like you are greeted by somebody more powerful than you standing between the two very close set pillars I mean that's the effect right this reminds just me of me? now yeah, no, what? I know what this reminds me of now. A temple. A place of a worship. A temple. Yeah. That's where you have a lot of spectator room and very little backroom space. Every other time yeah. we've seen a building like this, there have been big altars. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah, something like that. I like... Amorea's theory that this is where you show up to pay taxes and they lock the goods in the doorless room. Um, storehouse? It's a bit yeah. fancy for a storehouse. Yeah. But, oh man, you know, I've yeah. I've actually finished like, this the Dead Slayer deed. Well, yeah, so did, yeah, that was kind yeah. of amazing. That might okay. be my fastest deed ever. Yeah, especially while looking at architecture. Um, yeah, 
Now I agree with you. Temple works. Temple works. In which case, then, if we're talking temple, then we're talking, okay, again, like initial reception courtyard, and that's where anything kind of practical would be, and where there would be little like dormitories for the monks or whatever, right? And then there would be, this would be the inner court, right? Where people would come to worship, and then there would be this is like the Holy of Holies then in here. Sort of sanctuary. Yeah. The the inner, yes. The inner holy space. You could, you could also serve use as a military outpost if you had like to address your troops or something. Yeah, it could be done. But yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. That it, makes, it makes sense. It makes sense with the ruins too, though. It's like it's almost in defiance. Right, yeah, thinking back to the whole Memento Mori thing again now. And of course, what am I thinking? The Rudarans, under the influence of Angmar, would celebrate the destruction of that castle on the hill. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Behold the might of the Dark Lord who strikes down the Evil elves. The failure of those deemed uh, be above and beyond. That's right, right. Behold the humbling of the pride of uh, of of the elves. Yeah, yeah. So they would want to see it. That's why they line it up this mm -hmm. way, so that they can see it. They would want to be reminded because it's their victory. Yeah, yeah. Now, Amari, yeah. I don't know if the Rudarans ever got so far down the road as human sacrifice, but um, but yeah, something you know. It was definitely in, in the program direction. at some point. <laughs> yeah, you know, they would have been working up towards that in any case. Yeah. Um, Black Numenorean yeah. influence there. Now, on the one hand, I want to say there's nothing left here in the way of altars or any other queer marker but I have an explanation for why that would be um, I think the elves would have queered them out oh yeah that was my first thought is Elrond probably would have been yeah. like let's, let's do go we'll, we'll do the proper ceremonies to you know de-ickify this place exactly let's, I mean of course there's still it. dead people here um, but that's not his business that's like yeah. you know they've got Mortal's their own issues mortal. Right. Right. But yeah, um, they would have. So that's why this place. Like, so that's why you come in here and it's just empty, except for the Rudauer and marks built into the stone. Right. Because this place got swept clean. I wonder if they had those weird purple dealies all over, purple metal dealies all over the place. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Well, okay. I like that. That works here. Yeah. That works. I think that that will, 
that'll be good. So we and there's no milestone here, right? So we're still gonna have to. It's okay. We didn't ride that far. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's we get right we get yeah we get another milestone down wherever it is, Tornhod down at the southern tip. Yeah. Okay. No problem. So we'll see. Maybe next time. Yes. Next that'll be our goal. Next time our goal will be to get down to the next milestone. Good. Excellent. Okay. So the ancient probable temple of Ostweiren. Very interesting. Okay. Thank you guys for joining me. This, this has been a lot of fun. I will, uh, we'll be back next week. Um, so I think everybody, should, everything should be, I think it's still as normal next week. I'll, have, I'll be coming home from Florida. So assuming everything goes well there, uh, then, uh, we'll be all set. So, um, Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye now.